Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I suppose everyone is familiar with the canary in the coal mine. The easy, cheap solution to detecting dangerous levels of carbon monoxide in mines to keep coal miners safe. If the air was clean, the canary would sing. If it wasn't, the canary would quit singing and at very dangerous levels fall to the bottom of its cage. If the canary stopped singing, everyone knew to start paying attention. I have a lot of joy in living with the Lord, even if my circumstances stink. Like Habakkuk says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. My Christian joy is not a slave to my circumstances. But it hasn't always been this way. As a young person, I believed in God. He was someone I desired to know, to walk with, whatever that meant. But you want to know what I was really passionate about? His stuff. I wanted things. I wanted Ryan Granger to not notice the cute blonde new girl and still want to be my boyfriend in the third grade. I wanted to do well on my fractions test so I didn't have to stay in from recess. Again. I wanted to make cheerleader because everything would be right in the world if I could just make cheerleader. I wanted people to quit being mean to me in junior high. And I prayed for all of these things, like someone might approach a vending machine, actually. I would put in my coins with a little prayer time, and I would push the button and say amen and desperately hope for the right thing to fall. If nothing came or if something seemed stuck, I would start the process over again, praying again and perhaps eventually giving the machine a shake and a piece of my mind for not delivering what I clearly deserved because, you know, I was a nice person. Much of my ministry involves public speaking. I have a love-hate relationship with public speaking. I've been known to obsess about a perfect message, eat my nails to the quick, get fever blisters, and become cantankerous and difficult to live with. My husband has been known to slink around half afraid of me and reminds me that speaking my heart really shouldn't be so difficult on our marriage. I catch him tiptoeing around me and realize that I've finally done it. I've become so unbearable that my husband's going to leave me for Kim Kardashian. I warn him that Kanye's known to be trifled with and assure him that KK would have none of what's under our kitchen sink. He then pats me on the head and goes for a run, the long route. I am often heavy laden with the pressure of responsibility while writing, and nerves are a big part of my preparing process. As I prepare, I might beg shamelessly for God to just please show up. As I grovel, that little cursor thingy on my computer just blinks away, so I beg God some more, and I have resorted to some ridiculous things while trying to get God's attention. I might promise to give him a standing ovation once he whispers some words in my ear. I might go back and fix all my typos, thinking that he'll be more likely to show up if the page is tidier. I might promise to never gossip or yell at my kids ever again if I could just have one brilliant idea. And then lastly, I might compromise. God, listen, it doesn't have to be brilliant anymore. Just give me anything. Leftovers. Fine. Until one day, all of this reminded me of how I saw God as a kid. 
I had a terrible realization that while I have refined my vending machine God, I, a grown woman in ministry, hadn't abandoned it altogether. Elijah was one of God's great prophets. And one day he found himself in a not-so-friendly competition with 450 other prophets of the pagan god, Baal. They were fighting over who served the one true God, and they had come up with a contest to settle the score. And the rules of the contest were simple. Whoever's God showed up and set fire to a prepared sacrifice was the servant of the one true God. Who was going to show up with fire, God or Baal? The prophets of Baal spent all day trying to get their God's attention. They yelled out, they sang, they danced, and they even cut themselves in order to add their own blood to the sacrifice. And it was all very dramatic. Elijah, entertained, just watched. In my mind, he was leaning on a tree with his hands in his pockets. Maybe he was calmly inspecting his fingernails, but either way, he had a smirk on his face, smugly watching the show. When Baal didn't show up, despite all the theatrics, Elijah suggested that perhaps Baal was just sleeping. Or no, perhaps Baal was deep in thought. Or I know, perhaps Baal was traveling. Yes, that's it. Elijah suggested that the prophets probably just needed to yell louder. This Elijah was a smart aleck. So the prophets danced and pleaded and yelled and added more blood to the sacrifice. And nothing happened. And after the loud, messy chaos and a fair bit of taunting from Elijah, it was his turn to call on God. And Elijah may have been a smart aleck, but when he had faith, he had an all-caps kind of faith. Elijah knew his Lord. So he showed off a little. Not only did he ask God to come down to the altar with fire, but he asked God to come down to the wet altar with fire. Elijah asked that the altar be soaked with water three times. And then he prayed, and the result was immediate. Fire came down and burned up the soaking wet altar, and the hundreds of people watching this death match fell flat on their faces and shouted out to the one true God, Elijah's God. And what I took from this, as I was preparing for an important speaking event, was that I was acting a little like the prophet of Baal, with all the dramatics, punching the buttons, shaking the machine. I begged God to please come through for me, making promises and demands and altogether screaming out with a lot of hoopla, just short of shedding my own blood with all my begging. But with Elijah, there was no hoopla, and God didn't demand it. There was no yelling, there was no dancing, no blood spilled. Essentially, what it came down to was God's love and Elijah's faith in that love. And I realized I had a lot to learn. I had a humbling realization that perhaps I wasn't truly certain of God's love for me, not like Elijah was. No matter how mature in my faith I am, I realize that I just can't quit asking that question, how do you feel about me? Do you love me? Aren't we always trying to figure it out? I don't know about you, but for me, it has potential to go like this. God, if you're there and if you love me, then you'll fix this situation for me. A lot like Baal's prophets, I have found myself bargaining with God. But Elijah, he just asked in faith and waited for God to show up, knowing that no matter what, he would be victorious. I have spent much of my life bargaining with God. But now that I think about it, now that I really think about it, bargaining wasn't about getting what I wanted out of God because the truth is that I was fine without the fixed situation or with standing in front of a crowd with nothing to say. The bargaining wasn't about my desires. Not really. The bargaining was about my desire to know that he cared. 
What I wanted was proof that he would show up if I asked him to because that would mean that he was willing to involve himself in my daily life in ways that mattered to me. Bargaining was an attempt to know that he really loved me. Answering my demands would prove that he loved me in a way that I understood as love. I was using my circumstances to measure his love. And this wrong formula was affecting my joy. What affects your joy? I think it's an important question. Like canary level important. I believe the absence of joy, the absence of that singing canary, it is spiritually dangerous and it can lead to death. I had a realization that I was bargaining with God to try to figure out how much he loved me. I was letting my circumstances inform me of God's affection for me. And bargaining is just how I thought I would finally be able to see and touch his devotion. I thought that answered prayers and blessings were the best way to see his devotion, but there is a better way. God has already proved exactly who we're dealing with. He has shown us with so much passion exactly how much he cares about us. It is thick and dynamic and beautiful and against the grain and relieving and controversial. But our way of life with ourselves as the center of our story and our insistence on living as comfortably as possible, it's a barrier to seeing the actual way that God has told us that he loves us. Consumed by the things around us, instead of eternal things above us, we can't rightly see how great his love is. Because God is not preoccupied with our comfort, even if we are. If comfort is our love language, his love language is a a little more gritty. He's not sending us valuable trinkets or effortless relationships or instant remedies or magic wands. He sent us himself. In our pain-free living with all of our desires neatly around us and in place, it's not proof of his love for us. Jesus is. God came down. He walked down to our level. He walked this earth and shook it up and turned it upside down and inside out. He got his hands dirty and his heart broken. And he left heaven where peace reigned to enter a messy, fallen, broken world where he was spit upon and mocked and misunderstood and murdered and left all alone. He loved with such controversial, counterintuitive love that people literally could not understand it. It was so selfless, so great. It was so easy that they rejected it. God left the glories of heaven to become nothing. Why? because he wants to stroll with us in the cool of the evening. God is more loving than we have ever imagined him to be, even when those things aren't falling into our laps like we have hoped. He gave us his very self, and he has already decided to answer us before we ever even asked. But this love was confusing. Then and now, people didn't receive it. Jesus was hard for a Jewish culture to recognize. He was a carpenter from Nazareth, That's like saying God was a mechanic from Snook. Honestly, Snook and his village are almost the exact same size. Can you imagine? I'm a mechanic from Snook. Follow me. And he was hardly a political heavyweight. He didn't seem to care at all about having important friends or playing political games with those in power. The Jews might have gone to hear him speak, expecting a rallying speech about how the Jewish people won't be held down, not any longer. But when they got there ready to take notes about militant strategies, instead they heard about how the meek were the ones who were blessed? What? Jesus' way might have been more confounding than relieving. What kind of God are you? Can we just get back to driving out Rome in my pain-free living? Because I think that's how I'll recognize you better. 
but what was happening all around them that they were refusing to see was love. Their own expectations of what love looked like, what they thought freedom meant, it blinded them to the truth. And it's easy to roll our eyes at their blindness, but don't we also harbor our own personal expectations of life blinding us to the Lord's wonderful plan? Don't we also demand miracles because we have forgotten or grown bored with the most important one? We are not unlike the Pharisees insisting that God love us the way we deem important. I was seven or eight years old and I lived next to the golf course. My girlfriend and I loved to play on the golf course right at dusk when the golfers were finishing up. We would play in the sand pits and do gymnastics on the long, soft green grass. We would antagonize the geese and feed the ducks. And we probably did this at least three times a week. We knew what time to go so that no one would get mad at us. And we knew which sand pits had the cat poop and which houses to avoid because the husband was grumpy. We were experts at playing on the golf course after hours. To get there, we had to cut through people's backyards. And the backyard that was most convenient for us to use happened to have a big German shepherd in it, but he lived on a leash. We never quite befriended him. In fact, he would bark at us wildly as we ran through his yard, but we were always gone in a flash. His bark extra motivation to get where we were going. While we respected his presence and didn't tease or taunt him, he was huge, we certainly didn't worry about him either. He was tied up. One night, after hearing my dad's whistle for us to come home, we took off on our familiar path. We ran across the yard we always ran through, and the dog barked like he always barked, but this time... It was a different bark. If every other time we ran through his yard, his bark said, I wish I could chase you. This bark said, I am going to chase you. I am going to catch you and I am going to eat you. I turned around alarmed and sure enough, Mr. German Shepherd was not tied up. And not only was he not tied up, but he was in a full four-legged snarling German Shepherd sprint. My first instinct was to turn around and just keep running as fast as I could, but I only took half a step before knowing with everything in me that that was a mistake. I knew this dog could outrun me and was about to in milliseconds. Without thinking, another instinct took over. I very much had an out-of-body experience, and I can't explain it even to this day, but without knowing what was coming next and seemingly in slow motion, I stopped running, I turned around, I looked at that dog, I stood squarely, and I yelled with a voice that I did not know I had from somewhere down very deep, SIT! And if I'm lying, I'm dying. The dog sat. My friend was long gone, and I inched away while staring hard at the dog, trying to communicate the words, don't mess with me, you don't want none. I eventually caught up with my friend, and we laid on the grass together, panting, in shock and awe, trying to fully absorb what had just happened, the miracle that we had just been a part of, the way that we had just been delivered and saved, the very unexpected way that we were still alive. We couldn't get our minds around it, and we couldn't say much except, I cannot believe that just happened. We appreciated the magnitude. It was a miracle, and we saw it as such. I was only seven or eight at the time, and I certainly wasn't articulate enough to describe it then, but I went home feeling different. Those few short seconds, it was truly only seconds that I saw my life flash before me, but those seconds seemed to mature me. My knees were shaky, but my appreciation was sure. The air was lighter and easier to breathe. My fluttering heart seemed to dance around in my chest with great, great thanks. This miracle, it took me somewhere different. My vision was in better focus, and the things that I was angry about all of a sudden seemed pretty silly. 
I interacted with my friends differently. I appreciated my parents in new ways. Was this what joy felt like? I don't know how long it lasted, but I'm certain that that experience is one I would have done well to meditate on often. The sad truth is that my friend and I grew quite used to the story, and it became just that, a story. That miracle changed from a death-defying tale of the most unlikely, life-changing drama that made us reverent and thankful to just breathe air into something that we shared around the lunch table to entertain our friends, making them guess what came next, ourselves the star, and in every scene. We grew used to our miracle, and we made the miracle about us instead of he who performed it. We looked for what our miracle might gain us instead of continuing to live in great, great thanks of it. I don't know a good answer for how to bring joy back into our church as a whole. I only know that for me, individually, it was an astonishment for the greatest gift I've ever been given and then renewed astonishment as I returned to the cross again and again to remember, to remember the miracle. Anytime I've ever lost my joy, it's been because there's been very little astonishment in my gospel. My gospel was something I was just making sense of, rotely explaining. But for me, in my life, that level of familiarity, that explanation that separates me from astonishment, every time I get stuck in it, it has killed my joy. Anytime my faith has started to become a to-do list or a cliche, I've had to make it a discipline to remember. Joy for me has been an act of remembrance. The absence of joy, my spiritual canary, it's been my indicator that it's time to remember again. Hi, Taylor! <laughs> That's how we're starting, huh? It is. This is, this is Here we good. go. We're good. diving right in. Good. I, was, I, uh, I finally had the feeling that people have on my show that I knew we were recording, mm -hmm. and I was terrified that our previous conversations going on Patreon. So I finally feel like you do when you yes. come on my show. Um, okay, so Taylor, you're my dear friend. We do a lot of the same work because we're podcasting, we're doing antlers, we're doing reindeer antlers at each other. Dear friend. We, oh dear I'm friend. your dear friend. Dear yes, friend, I get it now. Where are the video cameras? That would have been a great joke if they could have seen it. It would have. <laughs> Anyways. But you are, you're a dear friend of mine, and you keep me on the straight and narrow um, with podcasting. You know so much more than me, and so I rely on you a lot. But more than that, you're my friend. I feel like we connected early on in your um, move to this town. So will you tell our listeners, Taylor, a little bit about how we met, and then a little, just your life story? Yeah, sure. All I, the things. I love how we met, because uh, one of the big things we have in common is like we joked about earlier, finding our place in the church, right? Yeah. So the, uh, let's see, the first mass, I lead worship. So I was leading worship for mass. Very beautifully. Um, thank you. Right at the beginning, like this was the first mass I had played for. And you, after mass, you came up to me and you gave me one of the best compliments I've ever gotten Ugh, right yes. after playing music for a Catholic mass. Mm. You walked up to me and said, are you Protestant? <laughs> I said, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> because what that meant was, you did music good. Yeah, <laughs> I felt joy from you. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's how we met, and I was like, I like this person. She's yeah. very nice. Um, By the way, just so you know, that was a stretch for me because I don't. I at the time wasn't feeling very at home, and so for me to, you know, the thing about not feeling at home is you assume everyone else feels at home, and you're kind of the only one. Satan's a jerk and tries to isolate you that way. <laughs> 
So for me to go up to someone on stage, because I didn't know that you had just moved here. That was news to me. Um, but to go up to you and then offer the compliment and then even take a bigger leap and say, that reminded me of home, you know, in a, in a way, um, or reminded me of a past and I found it very beautiful, um, was even a second leap. So obviously very Holy Spirit inspired Taylor that we be friends. So tell us about yourself, Taylor. Uh, let's see. I grew up in the church uh, and I never cared until I was a teenager. So I actually, uh, in junior high, I was so tired of going to mass. It was the same thing over and over and over again. I would go to our CCE classes, mm-hmm. which for your listeners that don't know what those are, have you ever sat somewhere that made you hate the thing that you were studying? That's not like school, you know? Like for me, biology class, mm-hmm. chemistry class, anything science. Like the church is an anti-science, but I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, CCE was the same way. It's like And something that should have wonder, right? I mean, biology, how wondrous. We should be astonished. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I hate it, and I'm sticking to it. No, I, I, I married I married a bride that studied science, so that my kids would be very well rounded mm-hmm. in a different way than I'm well rounded. Yeah. That's a whole other whole other story. Hashtag let hashtag loser. Uh, so yeah, grew up didn't really care. So mass was so boring for me. So I was like, you know what? There's a new non-denominational church down the road, and mom, I want to go there. My mom and all of her brilliance said, okay, I'll, I'll take you there, mm-hmm. but you're Catholic. You still have to go to Mass. Mm-hmm. Knew I hated waking up early. Mm-hmm. So she said, you can go to the 8 o'clock Mass with me, mm-hmm. and then I'll take you over to the non-Domination Church. Yeah. And, like, I desired it enough that yeah. I said, okay, right? Oh, wow, so I, I love that I went mama. and sat with all the old people, 8 o'clock Mass, because that's the only people up that early on a Sunday. Sure. And then I'd go to the non-Domination Church. Great preaching, great music. And, like, this, like my love for Scripture came mm-hmm. from... Mm-hmm. From that time, you yeah. know, I started diving into my Bible for the first time. You know, the old joke was not a joke for me. Dusted off my old Catholic yeah. Bible that I got for yeah. first communion. <laughs> yeah, started reading it. You know, like, and then ninth grade, summer for my ninth grade year, I went to a, a Steubenville Youth Conference, mm. big Catholic youth conference. Sure. Um, great speakers, great music. It reminded me a lot of like the Protestant church that I was going going to. And I was like, wait, like I can be Catholic and love Jesus and love this music. And also, like, the, but really the big thing for me is, like, the Jesus that I really met and got to know in that non-denominational church, like, I saw and experienced him in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, it was, it was just, like, these two worlds that I had experienced yeah. coming together. Yeah. And I was like, all right, this is it. Like, I'm staying here. And, like, yeah. ever since then, like, my goal in life, like, I've been in ministry for 10 years. Uh, I work for Blaze Ministries here in town and a missionary organization. Um, but one of the biggest things that I do is I speak and lead worship for events. Yes. I do that uh, at events, and I also have the, the radio show that you are a co-host on, yes. uh, Forza Catholic, where we're, like, our whole thing is all about making Catholicism fun again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know how like, the things that you experience as a child, you're either going to do those same exact things, or the pendulum's going to go all the way the other way, right? right. I was right. so bored as a Catholic kid yeah. <laughs> that I'm pendulum swinging. It's like, we need to bring joy back into the faith, which I think... Our Protestant brothers and sisters do way better than right. us. They're all happy because they're like, Jesus wins. I'm like, yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, so Pope Francis wrote this book uh, right when he first started. He said, so many Christians are walking around like it's Lent without Easter, right? Yeah. Like, woe is me. I need to fix myself. I need to get better. It's like, yeah, but Jesus, right? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> he came, taught us how to live, died for us. Like, he won the victory for us. So, like, let's bring joy back in so that's what the whole 
hashtag for you for you mm-hmm. make files and fun again yeah that's that's my that's my shtick oh it's so good so i think that speaking of pope francis and i know that you know so many people people disagree with how he's handling the scandal but as, as far as his approach to stepping away from a very judgmental or authoritarian tone that we've become so used to in our church language i feel like he's really done that well i read a quote recently that i'm about to butcher but um and just say it my own way but i'm I don't know about you, but I feel so tired of um, going to, to church with people who feel like they are God's enforcers. And I just want to go to church with people that are broken and needy for Jesus. And I think that when we get into a way of thinking where we need to defend the gospel, I, I think that this could be argued maybe in a, in a truthful way, but, a, but an enemy is brilliant for his subtlety. So I think that while that defending the gospel might come from a good place, I think that it can be twisted or manipulated to keep God small and make you big. Do you see any component of that as far as people taking themselves too seriously? Yeah, it's interesting because like running in ministry circles, I'm, I, a lot of people that work in the church are that way. It's like we have to defend the church, and it's a lot of it. I think comes from we're losing, yeah, a lot of battles, right? Yeah, like we're losing a lot of the cultural battles. People are leaving churches, like they're all of our churches, right? Yeah. Just uh, so it's like we have to stand firm in this, and it's like, well, like I I get where you're coming from, but like like you said, like we're we have to recognize our brokenness as a people, like including the people who are still left in church right mm-hmm. and a- another thought on it is that like just like you said i mean like you kind of quoted pope francis again whether you do it or not like we're not a museum of saints we're mm-hmm. a hospital for sinners like mm-hmm. that's what the church really right. is and like with with people that are that are that are like what you're describing i get into it with them just in working in ministry and doing events sure. i see a lot of it it's like my feeling is like jesus is a big boy like he can take care of himself mm-hmm. like he doesn't really need me to defend him. Now, yeah. if like, you know, if somebody comes and starts bashing him, sure, like I'll have the conversation, right. but it's like, I, I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm trying to win your heart, Yeah. right? Because like, I could walk, I could win an argument. I'm just got school in this and I'd walk away feeling really good about myself and they would hate the church even more. That's right. You know, but yeah. it's like, let's actually sit down and actually talk about this right. and like, that's, that might be the start of, of something new. That's a high school musical quote, by the way. You're welcome. Oh, well, I, I do thank you. Um, so, like I said, I know Pope Francis is receiving criticism for how he's handling our current scandal, but what I've loved about him along the lines of make Catholicism fun again is that I feel like he's really good at leading by invitation. He's been very gentle in his approach. I, I know that some people kind of lost their minds about this quote, but the who am I to judge thing, but it's a break from this kind of demand of authority. It's really by invitation. And I think that in that way, we can kind of unclench our teeth a little bit. Our shoulders can relax a little bit. There's an exhalation. In that exhalation, there's freedom. I have felt as just laity, I have felt really empowered mm-hmm. to, um, to create with that unclenching. I have felt really empowered to create. How does this affect like the planning of your show? How does, how does make Catholicism fun again affect the things, the topics you take on? Yeah, I, th- I think s- not just in the church, but all of our news, like everything coming in is negative. Like I don't watch the news. It's like, I can't deal with it. Yeah. You know, and like, 
people, like, you know, there was a monsoon in Indonesia. It's like, like, that's sad. But like my personality, like I can't handle all that. Mm-hmm. I have enough stuff yeah. with, my, with myself, my yeah. family, my community, like what I've been called to, to help mm-hmm. with, right? Um, so like when it comes to the show, the whole goal of it is to be an hour of joy in people's life that's also talking about faith, right? Yeah. Like we want to joke, we want to laugh, and then I, I want you, I want to make you forget you're listening to a Catholic show, and then be like, oh yeah, I forgot this was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this was, you know, a, a Christian podcast, and we pick things almost intentionally to be something very different in people's week, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so much of like Catholic radio, Catholic podcasting is this like, like you said, defending the faith, and it's like. Okay, like that stuff, like learning apologetics, learning things about our faith, that's good. Every new thing we learn about God right. is another reason to love him. It's just like like a relationship like with you and Seth, yeah. right? Like everything that you learned about him as yeah. y'all were dating, and even now, like if y'all been married for 80 years or whatever it's been, um, like you still learn new things, and it's another reason to love them, well right? It's yeah. so like I get that, but at the, at the same time, it's like that's not all the church is, right? I just want to be something different. And, and, and people responded to it, and it's fun. Can, let's try you and me together. Let's try to pinpoint the problem. So I know we talked about defending the gospel, but can we even take it down even smaller? What is the problem when it comes to rigid and manufactured versus natural and fun? I think it's two things. I think it's, it's not trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. Mm. And like, like, I mean, like who said it, like he, can, he can handle himself, right? Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's an old... Casting Crown song, uh, how refreshing to know you don't need me, how amazing to find that you want me. Yes, he, he doesn't need he me. He just wants me. Like, he doesn't need you. Like, yeah. And like, we're people doing stuff to try to help people grow in their faith. He doesn't need any of us, right? And like, that has been proven by people, all sorts of people, leaving, you know, leaders leaving the faith, leaders screwing up in the faith. He, he's going to find somebody to do what, what he wants to do. Um, but but he, he needs and he wants us. And I think we're remembering that. Like there are so many leaders in our church, in every church, that are working for Jesus but not working with Jesus and mm, not having that heart for Jesus. Right? Yeah. Like I, and like I can, like I'm talking about myself too. Like I fall into this all the time. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I need to go do this. I need to go yeah. write this talk. I need to prepare this show. I need to. We all have busy weeks, right? And then it's like I'm just working for Jesus. You yeah, know, he's right. cutting my paycheck. But like, you know, just clocking in, clocking out. Right. And it's, it becomes less of this relationship that I'm You're right though, that word with, that word with, because we can live, we can live over God, we can live under God, we can live for God, but to live with God is a really beautiful, intimate thing. Right. It's really good. And like, even within that, and like, that's like one of the beautiful things about the Trinity, right? I mean, like, especially like with the, especially with the Father and the Son, especially with those things, like God the Father teaches us this reverence and this respect that we need to have Mm -hmm. for God. And then Jesus mm. came down to be one of us. Mm. So like, he's like, I'm with you, yeah. and I'm also above you and calling you higher. Yeah. But the whole time in that process, I'm with you, whether you're getting closer to me or falling away from right. me, right? You know, the whole so footprint's in the, in the same thing. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, you said it was two things, though. Yeah, so the the second thing is that we've, we've all gotten to this mindset that it's very natural, but it's very hurtful, of we can only give what we've received. Like that makes so much sense, right? Yeah. Uh, but there are not many people who are able to step back from a situation and be like, are we doing this the right way? Mm-hmm. So like most people, like I work in youth ministry, 
most people that come to our youth ministries to volunteer are not used to this model that we're doing of basically small groups, right? Sure. So like there's somebody who speaks and gives a, a talk, go into the small group. Like that's where, you know, like how God reveals himself. He's like, God reveals himself and he waits for a response. He does that all throughout the scriptures, all in the Old Testament. He reveals himself and then Israel doesn't listen to him mm. for 400 years. He doesn't reveal anything new. Mm. She's like, I'm just waiting for y'all to catch up. Yeah. And then they finally catch up because a prophet or a judge comes through, fixes them. Then he reveals something new. Yeah. And they go through another hundred years of not uh, doing anything. Yeah. And, he, and then he just waits. He's a patient father, right? Uh, we see this in the New Testament too with Peter. Like he doesn't walk up to Peter and say, hello, I'm God. You know? yeah. It's like, hey, fish that way. What? Fish that way. Okay. Then he does it. Wow. Come follow me. I'm going to make you yeah. fisherman. Like he starts there, reveals something, waits for the response. The response there from Peter so was, good. I'm going to start walking with you, right? Um, Such a gentleman in yeah. that way, right? And like Peter wouldn't have died for a him. A stickler on free will. <laughs> right. <laughs> he wouldn't have died for him right then, but he eventually died for him because mm. of all of these things, right? Mm. So in this model of ministry of like, we have, we have fallen in, in the church of not giving people a chance to respond. Mm. It's like, here's what God has said. Now respond either in prayer, in worship, or even in just like discussion of like, how does, how does this apply to my life? And how am I going to take this message home? Mm. Like that's why we pray. It's why we do worship. And it's why we do small groups. If we're just talking at people, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. And it's proven that it, we've proven it doesn't work because our numbers are like people are just leaving because they don't have a relationship with God. They've just heard all this stuff and it was never personal for them. But like so many people received that as young people and it worked for them. Yeah. There are the few people still left and that really, right. really care. Yeah. So like this worked for me, so it has to work for them. And it's like, it's hard to show anybody there's something new here going on like yeah. god's ever, ever ancient ever new like the content of our faith doesn't change but like we have to change with the time to like the models and how we do those things and i think that's the other thing holding us back is like people are just like i'm just we're just gonna keep doing the same old same old thing and it's not working so interesting what i hear you saying and i, and I think it, this is a little different what i'm about to say or how i'm about to phrase it but i think it's along the same vein which is that we see communion or church or whatever as kind of a reward. Like I have been diligent, I have been holy, and now this is my reward. Instead of a healing and food for the hungry. After that kind of experience as food for the hungry, now I go respond. I've been fed, I now go respond. I think that is such an interesting insight. As I was kind of thinking about this question, like what is the problem? What's going on? Is it possible? That and I think that this You're gonna say me, aren't you? (laughs) No. No. This is an intervention. All of my friends and family just walked into the room. (laughs) Taylor, we have a message for you. (laughs) We are solidified in this. No, but is it possible? And I do think that our I mean by our I mean you and me, like Taylor Scholl and Allison Sullivan, I think that we this is hard for us, um, just from the cloth that we've been cut from. I think that there are some people that really kind of enjoy work to celebration. I enjoy working for something versus the um, the willy-nilly <laughs> of play and freedom. I think that there's an element of um, unpredictability or surprise to play and freedom and fun and laughing that people can really kind of get caught off guard by and just, pref- I, just I prefer the to-do list, thank you very much. Yeah, and what's interesting is I think there are people on both sides. I really like the work or I really like the play. 
Mm-hmm. And if yeah, you're right, right, only right. doing one, sure. you're not doing what we're made for. Like, Amen. we know what we're made for. Yes. Like, look, just look at the first two chapters of the Bible, right? Like, we were created to work yes. hard, six days a week. Yeah, in America, we take off two. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. I like the two. Me and Jesus can have a conversation about that later. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, though, like, even in my life, it's like, I have the, you know, 40-hour work week, five days. My sixth day is usually working on stuff for the show or working on booking travel and all that sure. kind of stuff. And then there's the, the rest day, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and I get to play. Mm-hmm. Like we are built for both of those. And like, I'm a big like, I don't like people on either side. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like if you're on either extreme, but it's like- I know that without discipline, which way I would lean. I would lean way too heavily on this other camp. And I think I can speak for you safely that you probably would too. So it becomes a discipline. Right. And so likewise, I think that the people on this end need to make this free form, you know, a discipline. Right. Like, join the small group, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Come on over, man. Water's fine. The other thing that I was thinking about this, of, of what, what has gone wrong and, and how, if we can identify it, then maybe there, there's a way through. But, I mean, are we following the Pharisees or Jesus? Who are we following here? Can we laser focus on the life of Christ? And start being good imitators. Oh, I see myself in the Pharisees more than any other character than maybe Peter. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the doofus that was following Jesus and then the doofus I, doofuses, doofusy, doofusy. We're going to go with doofusy. Uh, that were following Jesus, but like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Um, okay, you're a Peter. I'm a Peter too. Yeah. How are you, Peter? Every time I say something really, really good about Jesus or for Jesus or to Jesus, Fourteen seconds later, I say something stupid, and he's like, "Get behind me, Satan!" You know, like that is my life in a nutshell. Okay, but listen, make Catholicism fun again. I feel like the bottom line is pleasing God does not have to be so arduous. People, I think that there are easier ways to experience God's pleasure in us. Your show does a great job of that. Well, thank you. You're welcome. What what words do you prefer, by the way? I mean, I know obviously fun, but is it is it lighthearted? Is it childlike? I mean, we're we're called to be childlike, not childish. I'm both. But <laughs> I'm better at childish, if we're being honest. But but in your in your quest to obey that command to be like a child, what are some things that really keep you learning, growing on your toes in that regard? How do you keep from being complacent? Um. Community is a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think have, having a community around, like I love just laughing with my friends, which is why like I love having, I have co-hosts on my show now that rotate in, and you were one of those, and we just laugh half the time that we're talking, right? We do. Um, so community is a big one, but I, I, you hit on one of the things that I'm actually pretty terrible at. Okay. <laughs> like I, I think, uh, like we were talking about earlier, like I am on the joy and pleasure spectrum of this thing. And sometimes, hashtag all the time, uh, lack discipline, right? Mm -hmm. So complacency comes into my life very frequently. It's probably the thing that I struggle with the most, you know, like the whole sloth thing. Uh Like seven deadly sins, like that's the one that's going to kill me is is sloth. And so this complacency thing is one of the things that I like identified a few years ago and I'm better at it, but it still, it still uh, comes in. Like I love ease life being easy but this whole jesus thing isn't very easy mm-hmm. right like it, it's it's a it's a hard thing that he invites us to do like yeah. you know choose me i'm better mm-hmm. but you still have to not do some other things or you have yeah. to put me first 
over video games or hanging out with friends or sins, you know, like, and and it's a hard thing, but, um, so complacency for me, I had to go look, I actually looked this one up beforehand, Uh, a feeling of smug or uncritical satisfactions with one's self and one's achievements in a word, meh, Meh. "Eh, Meh. I find myself doing that a lot. It's like, Taylor, you should probably pray today. Eh. Tired. Uh Netflix is on. The game's on. Uh Eh. Uh You know? And, like, that's that's probably the thing that I have to push through Uh the most. Like, the amount of times that I desire to pray in a year, we could do a bet plus or minus 15. Yeah. This makes a lot of sense, though, because there's an enthusiasm to fun. Right? That's implied. I mean, that is implied. So I can see how your Achilles heel towards comfort or sloth or ease or whatever you want to call it um, is really the antithesis of this enthusiastic fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like like when it comes to prayer, like prayer isn't fun, but it can still be joyful. And like Mm -hmm. that's the thing, right? Like, and that's kind of the thing. We we always say make a thousand fun again, but like really it's all about joy, Mm -hmm. right? You know, like... Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean when I say sure, fun. Sure, it's sure. just not the right word, right? Sure. But like, like knowing that I can still find joy—not can, but will find joy yeah. in prayer. Um, and it's not fun and exciting most of the time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when you go into your room and lock your door and go like that's not fun, mm-hmm. but it's like Jesus is where our joy comes from, right. and like so often, like. I know that, and yet I still struggle with it. Because I'm like, oh man, I'm not feeling joyful. I'm going to go play video games. I'm going to go mm. hang out with friends. I'm going to go get a drink. I'm going to go do whatever, yeah. right? And then I'm, duh, not right. joy-filled. You know? Right. Like, you know, my um, my comparison to that, or my 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 version of, of what you're talking about, would be just kind of the the social media scroll. So, so if I'm like, meh, if I'm feeling the meh, you know, I... Or I have a to-do list and all of a sudden, you know, 35 minutes later, I find that I'm still... It's not that I can't celebrate with people or really engage with people on social media. I mean, social media has a million benefits. But I do think that that habit as a way of checking out, it keeps me from seeing my own joy. Personally, I don't I don't struggle with a lot of envy. I, and this is recent, and I think it's because I've really kind of found my lane to run in. I, I feel like I, I know who I am and what I'm called for. And so that's been very relieving of um, like envy or jealousy or anything like that. But so it's not that I can't root for people on social media and get excited about all of the things, um, but it does keep me from getting excited about my own things. Like I have my own life to enter into. And so it keeps me from entering into my very own life. Yeah, so like the, the story that pushes me forward yeah. whenever I'm feeling like this, the story of the rich young man. Yeah. The dude that walked away from Jesus. So I'm hoping that's not my outcome. It's a terrible <laughs> legacy, isn't it? It's like all he's known so for. There, but he, there's an interesting thing before we even get into it. There's an interesting like small T tradition. And what that means is like it's not confirmed, but like a lot of people think that that he was one of the people that helped put forth money to buy the plot of land that Jesus was buried in. Hmm. You know, so like you put up a bunch of money for Jesus to sleep there for three days. But, you know, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, you know, uh, but like th- there's a, you know, a small teacher just and believe it if you want. Like you're not required to, right? But that he actually came around mm-hmm. later, which cool. hopefully that's what I do. Yeah. I'll come around and yeah. be holy one day. Yeah. But um, he comes up and he asks, he gets a bad rap, but his he starts off like 80, 90% of his conversation is awesome. He comes up and he says... 
what must I do to gain eternal yeah. life? Like, that is the human question. Right. Like, that's the question we should all be asking. It's a great question. There's yeah. so many stupid questions. That is not one yes. of them. Right? What do you ask of me, Lord? Yeah. What, what do, you, what, what what do, do you I need to me? do to get to heaven? Yeah. Like, that's, you know, we're all like, that, that's our question, right? Yeah. Um, and, and Jesus answers, well, here's the commandments. He's like, yeah, I know. Like, I know the commandments. And so many of us, like, we're in the church. We know what the commandments are. And you're just like, we're still struggling with one or two of them or eight of them. I don't know your life, you know. But um, <laughs> but he, it, it's a fantastic question. Jesus, like he always does, answers with a question. That dude's amazing with the questions. And then he says, like, well, which one should I follow? Now that's a question I'm asking, right? Yeah. What's, what can I, like, skirt around and still be, like, holy, you know? Like, yes. Can I still have, like, my pleasure over here? And my, oh, uh, it's, not that I, it's not that I don't want to sin. It's that I don't want to sin very much. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, that's the, that's the complacency in me, yes, right? Yes, of course. It's like, I can be all right, right? Well, yeah. I, I can be a man Catholic. I can be an okay, holy person, right? Um, C's get degrees. <laughs> My spirituality in a sentence. That's fantastic. C's get degrees. Um, it's terrible. So, the, but the young man says, all of these eyes I have observed. He's one of the holy ones. He's one of the ones in church, synagogue all the time, right? You know, modern equipment. He's in church all the time. He's following the commandments. He's doing this. But he still has this feeling of like, I still lack something. That's beautiful. Like not enough of yeah. us are doing that. Like I still right. lack something. Yeah, and and Jesus says, well, to him. This is the, the famous part of the story. Yeah. Rich, rich people are bad. That's not the point of the story. That's what yeah, every yeah, homily yeah. I've ever heard about Good this is. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, well, if you, if you wish to be perfect, right? This isn't just this C's get degrees. This is like, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be holy, for you, young rich young man, go sell what you have. And, and the man walked away sad because he had many possessions, right? And I'm, I'm like, so if you are a very wealthy person and you hear this and that's your struggle, and you're more trusting in your money than God, that's probably what he's saying to you, mm-hmm. right? That's not my problem. I am a Catholic missionary. <laughs> it's not my issue, right? Yeah. But I have my own. I have plenty of them, right? Um, what am I picking over this perfection, this, this, like what God calls us to? So many people yeah. are scared of that word. Mm-hmm. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Yeah. That's not me. That's Jesus, right? right? Like we're supposed to be striving for that. Right. Yes, we all fall. That's why we say sorry. Go to, yeah. you know, for Catholic, go to confession. Like that's why we have all that stuff, yeah. right? But do not let your heart fall into sin. I mean, the word let implies there's an option there, right? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the, the beautiful part about this is, that, like, and, and what gives me hope and like doesn't make me fall into despair, but where I can still have this joy is that like this, the, the you know, he says, you know, for man, this is impossible. Mm. You can't get into heaven. It's impossible. You can't be perfect. You can't be holy. It's impossible for you. But with God, all things are possible. When I finally get to the point where I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, pride, I think I can do it all myself. That's right. And then I'm just like, you know what? I give up. Surrender. If you want to fix this, fix it. It's on yeah. you now. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he still is needy. and all these things. We're right? so needy. We really are. Uh. And we just want to spit that word out of our mouths because it feels so counterintuitive to what our culture is telling us to be and how to ascend and how to climb and how to be independent. But he wants us needy. To close, Taylor, the church we love is really kind of on its knees right now. It just feels like this house of cards and the table's been bumped and it feels like 
although we know that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, um, it feels right now, maybe this is this is just me and the empath in me, but it feels like it could all come crashing down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like everything feels really precarious right now. And just as, as a fellow Catholic, I have found a lot of um, comfort and solace in sitting knee to knee with other Catholics and be like, what are we going to do? Like, what do we do now? And and that's been a, a part of feeling really empowered, like as laity, feeling really empowered um, to do and create. But how, I feel like we are in a situation right now that is crying out for change. And I feel like your mission and your trending hashtag has a lot to do with that. Trending hashtag is just all my posts. <laughs> <laughs> and like two of yours that you asked permission to I know. post. I'm like, am I allowed to use that? I don't know how hashtags work. Is this plagiarism? I, I sued you and you cease and desist. <laughs> I'm a writer. Ownership matters. Um, what is the role specifically right now in church history? What is the role of clergy? What is the role of laity? And if possible, does that tie all into what you're doing and what your mission is? Yeah, so I, I, the biggest, okay, step back. If I was in a battle, let's say I was in the military, right? And I'm laying down on the ground and I'm about to die. I have one shot left in my, in my gut. And there's a general standing across the way. And then there's you holding the flag. You know, you're the flag bearer. Like, who am I using that bullet on? I'm, I'm shooting the general, right? I, I'm taking out the, the leader so that everything else will fall, fall, will fall apart, right? If I'm I, an unapologetic pacifist, Taylor. Do we have to shoot anyone? <laughs> yeah. They're all, it's all rubber bullets. War isn't real, okay? It's all, it's all a joke. So, like, okay. I feel you. Whatever. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, he's, he's not real. This is all a figment of my imagination. I have not shot anyone. Okay, I'm playing along. Okay. I'm playing along. So, like, you know, because, if, like, literally the job of people... If they were the flag bearer, if they got shot, somebody else was standing right there to, to pick it up, right? Uh-huh. If you shoot the general, right. there's not another general behind them. Like, they have chain of command and somebody else takes but it just causes chaos, mm-hmm. right? So I'm shooting the general because there's nobody there to replace him. It causes the chaos. Everybody's got to retreat. Then they might come back. But, like, it's not going to be the same. Like, this man's been training his entire life. Like, that Satan's been at this a long time. That's what he's trying to do. Mm. He's not going to take out the flag bearer. Mm-hmm. He's going for the generals. He's going for the big dogs. He's going for the leaders. And like he has obviously been attacking our leaders, mm. our priests, our bishops, all this. If he can take them out, he'll cause chaos and he'll. He's trying to make the whole thing fall down, mm. right? So like he's he's not an idiot. Mm. He uh, he did this intentionally, mm-hmm. right? And so like I couldn't see this for the first few months after the scandal broke, mm-hmm. but it's like, I lost all trust in yeah. priests, bishops, all of it, right? That's hard. And then I stepped back and been like, this is the, that's the whole point of this, right? And like, I've been able to realize like, the holiness of the priesthood has not changed. Mm-hmm. Will never change, has never changed, because it was instituted by Christ and he chose these people, right? So like, their role hasn't changed but I do think one thing that has happened in how this is practiced is the laity is getting a larger role, right? Yeah. For, for so long, just because it is what it is, we just kind of like went to mass and did our thing. But like, we will not stand for this. Right. We won't. Yes, we and are it, outraged. Yeah, so it's, it's not going, like it cannot happen again. Like, will people still abuse? Yes. But we're not going to let the 
system do it anymore. Individuals are still sinners and they're still going to mess up, yes. right? But like there has been. And we're this... not going to protect an institution over the vulnerable. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, like, the lady is stepping up and t- taking a larger role in protecting the least among us, right? Yes. Um, but like, really, the only thing that's going to bring change is the only thing that's ever brought change in our entire history, right? So it's like, you know, it's one of those, like, okay, everything's falling apart. It's like, the church was still Nero. He burnt down everything. Like, mm. and the church was a baby little church and still survived, <laughs> right? Any list in the last 2,000 years of history that you want to bring up, we've served, the church has survived it, had its rough moments, and, and what was the thing that changed everything? The Holy Spirit. Right? And raising up these great saints, these great holy leaders in the midst of these trials and bringing them to the forefront. Right. So like for, for me, like I can't, all I can do is what's in my control. So what do I have? I have a platform I can talk to people. Right. Yeah. So it's like my role is if like the whole be the change you want to see in the world type type thing. Yeah. But it's like that's Jesus' idea first. Right. Right. It's like. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to transform. Like we, we talked about Peter earlier. Peter went from this bumbling idiot. Sorry, Peter, he's going to smack <laughs> me before I get in. He, a guy that couldn't put, you know, put two and two together in the Gospels. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and yeah. he preaches, and 5,000 people are converted. Yeah. Like, I'm lucky if I've had five in my career, and I do this for a living, <laughs> yeah. right? He had 5,000 people that day. Mm. Like, the Holy Spirit is what's going to, to change things. And, like... Right. That I that needs to start with me, yeah. and needs to start with with all of us, and he's like, and that's like what I'm trying to do with the show. It's what I'm trying to do when I go travel and speak. It's what I'm trying to do when we're leading worship. Let's recognize the spirit here in this room. Let's recognize the spirit in us, and let's let him transform us. We're transformed by the Holy Spirit, and they were little individuals, and then they changed the church in a in a broader way. Right. And like some of us are called to that, some of us aren't. Yeah. And we don't we won't really know that. We're just supposed to do all different giftings and charisms and callings and talents. Um, but but I but I agree with you that there is a deep need for letting the Holy Spirit move freely in our midst, recognizing the love that he gave first, then embracing the joy of the gospel that we are victorious. I, I think that there needs to be this pause for us to evaluate who we're following. Are we following Pharisees? Are we following Jesus? And then an acceptance of what we've been given and then living our lives out of that overflow. And then embracing our neediness. If we're not going to strong arm this into happening, you know, into good triumphing over evil, this is going to be a work of the Spirit. And we just have to let it move through. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Anything else before we sign off today? I feel like this is a really good time for a tailor joke. A tailor joke. A tailor joke. <laughs> so there was once a man who was creating clothes. That's my tailor joke. Oh, wow. But um, <laughs> do you people see what I have to deal with? Hey, listen, go to Forte Catholic, listen to Forte Catholic, make Catholicism fun again. I get to co-host with Taylor once a month and it's a joy. I feel like our interactions are, are becoming very regular and I'm, I'm enjoying this, Taylor. You're a good friend. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend 
evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hi, Beefinator. Hi, Um. So I said, are we ready to record? And you started stretching out. Sometimes I still get real nervous. <laughs> I'm sweating a little bit right now. We're four seasons in, I'm so sure. I know. I know. And this is an easy topic. We're not even talking about masturbation. <laughs> wow. <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Taylor and I just had, for people who aren't well acquainted with the show, I feel like I need to explain that. We had an episode talking to kids about porn and masturbation. Oh, right. oh good point. Yeah. Let's just, I should, that just probably needs edited. Okay. Listen, <laughs> so, um, we, or not, or, or or not, not need to listen to all the episodes. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> we cover a lot of ground here. So, <laughs> okay. But Taylor and I just had a delightful conversation about rediscovering the joy of the gospel. Um, his podcast, as you know, has that, his hashtag is making Catholicism fun again. And so his personality and his gifts are so aligned to bringing joy back to the gospel. One thing that came up in our conversation that I thought was profound was that and both balance, right? I mean, we always have an and both balance. And so of course, God is not us. And of course, God is superior. And of course, that requires reverence and honor and esteem. Um, But on the exact same hand, Jesus put on flesh and came to meet us. And he is our brother and our shepherd and his mercies are new. So there's that and both, you know, there's, there's the formality and then there's the brotherhood. And so how do we balance that to keep a good, healthy spirituality? Because one thing that Taylor and I talked about was that you can get too far entrenched in just one side of that. So what immediately comes to my mind is something that was super profound to me. Our church was having a lot of conversations about our traditional service versus our contemporary service and um, which one was seemingly more popular and trying to figure out why and um, just the differences between the services and how they touch people. And our pastor just gave them each service words that um, just really highlighted the value and that it wasn't an either or for our church that we needed both and those words were transit transcendent which is what our traditional services um, and then imminent which is what our con- contemporary services and so in transcendent worship in our beautiful sanctuary with all the stained glass and an altar that separates the congregation from the pastor that's what people go for. They want to be in reverence and they want the candles um, and um, yeah, just in awe of God. Exactly, exactly. Whereas in the contemporary service, there's an imminent experience. And so we are with God. We are like the spirit is moving around that room. There are hands up in the air far more than there are in the other service. Um, there is just a lot more chatting between the people because people are there experiencing the spirit in each other. There's snacks and there's coffee and it just is much more of a relaxed um, experience. And people want both of those. And I want both of those um, right. you know, at different right. times. And so it's really interesting, but, but you know what, then again, there's some people that don't want both of those. Yeah. There's a need for both of those. Yeah. Um, some people well only want one and, and that's okay probably for them as long as they are wholly fulfilled. But I think what 
I imagine you and Taylor and not and not judging the other camp right exactly exactly and just knowing what what is it that stirs you and if you have a bit of an emptiness to know that there's another way um, to go seek out right that's good that's good that's so good beefy um I love the word you use stir like what is it that stirs your affection for the Lord do that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So a question from our listener is my kids have such a hard time staying engaged in church. They are simply so bored. And frankly, I don't blame them. What do you do to keep your kids engaged in church? I think this is, um, this letter is from, um, a fellow Catholic. And so, um, was it transcendent? Was that the word you used? Yes. So Catholic mass is transcendent. And Mm -hmm. so, um, so it can be difficult for a young person to, to stay engaged. I do think it's important that they're there and that they're part of worship and they know that their presence is important. Um, So I love that our church does that. I tell you what, though, I think that there is something so special about a children's sermon. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and it's especially special watching your beefy do it, which you did yes. it for, for three years. Um, how did you, what were some processes that you went through to keep it engaging for kids? Oh, prayer, 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 all the prayer. I'm telling you, over the course of three years, it would be up until Saturday night so many times that I would just be begging the Lord to have all the pieces come together because I just wanted it to be just right. Um, And there's something, you know, it's meant for kids and it's meant to be something that can be easily understood, but sometimes boiling a passage down to three minutes um, makes you have to really, really know it backwards and forwards. And I think that's what a lot of people like about a um, children's sermon too, as soon as it can be really dense and just really concrete. I love an object lesson. Um, I think that, you know, you can hear that you can put a little bit of God's love in your heart and touch somebody with a little bit of God's love and you can watch it multiply. You can hear that all day long, but until you see somebody drop a little bit of hydrogen peroxide into a beaker (laughs) full of yeast and soap and watch it just spew all over the altar, you can't really know. (laughs) That image isn't going anywhere. Exactly, Exactly. I love a good prop. You know what though? I think there's something really special too about seeing somebody gather up their robe and sit on the steps and get down mm-hmm. to someone's level and even use a different voice because it's like you're meeting me you're really meeting me and then of course I mean it's short so that's nice but I think that 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 length that brevity um makes just what you were saying it's like we're really focusing on the fundamentals here and I think that right. that's a welcome change from getting into the weeds so much like sometimes we just need to remember the fundamentals of let's love God and let's love others wildly shall we right Um, and of course the gift for the congregation to literally see the little children coming and sitting there with their cross legs and their big eyes and the simple questions they ask and the simple ways they respond and the precious things they want to share um you know those are just touching and um like heartwarming for the whole congregation to see. So I think even without the message, sometimes just seeing the youth of your church up there seeking and learning is, um, can be really, really powerful. Absolutely. Uh, just called to be like a child. Of course, that's powerful. Um, so I guess listener, sister solidarity, I'm fist bumping with you. I get it. For me, it's important to supplement, supplement, supplement. Um, you know, just lots of other fun things so that they understand a different dimension of God. Right. All right. Thanks, Beefy. Love your words. Love your thoughts. Love your mission. Love your heart. Love everything about you. Right back at you, sister. Love you. Bye.
I've never met anyone like Mary. Well, technically I've never met Mary. You see, we're internet friends, but don't let that fool you. This internet connection runs deep. Mary is so many things all at the same time. With one sentence, she can make me laugh, cry, think, and deeply, deeply feel. There's just something about Mary. You'll see. I have a child with disabilities. This same child also has very little patience and a short fuse. Teaching her about Jesus and faith was tricky when she was younger. We butted heads a lot and ran into a lot of snags. Sitting through hour-long church services was torture for her, and trying to keep her quiet and contained was trying on my patience. When we found a special religious education program about an hour away, we decided it was worth a shot. The program welcomed kids of varying abilities and levels. The faith was distilled, not watered down, but purified to its most basic principles. Jesus loves us. He gave himself for us. He wants us to follow God and be kind to each other. My daughter still had meltdowns, but the staff wasn't surprised or perturbed by them. The best part was the mass one priest put on specially for kids in her program. All the important steps were there, but the kids were invited to come sit on the steps of the altar. They were allowed to participate, even to interrupt and ask questions. Grace truly entered when perfectionism was set aside in favor of curiosity and inclusion. I think we could all use a little more curiosity and inclusion interrupting our perfectionism. Stay curious, sisters. Dear God, please help us to rest in your joy, allowing smiles to last longer, to revel in nice memories, or to find a spot of sunlight. Help us to awake our hope and to appreciate diversity, to take in the beauty of others. Help us, God, to sing songs of faith and to carry the truth close to us, to rejoice at new life and to experience peace. Thank you, God, for the many gifts that you've given us, the greatest gift of all, Jesus. It's in his most holy name that we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And for this episode, a special thank you to Taylor Schroll. Search Taylor Schroll in Forte Catholic, F-O-R-T-E, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And follow him on Instagram at Taylor Schroll. That's S-H-R-O-L-L. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Thank you to Kristen Kelly and Mary Bishop. For more of Mary's writing, head to madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com. Center Saint Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Center Saint Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe, and tune in next week.